Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it means supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? You guys are here, which is awesome. Um, in Minnesota, this was like the day that you spend all day on the lake because the ice is finally gone by June 1st. But I praise God that I'm here in Ohio and we have a little bit of an earlier summer, spring into summer uh, Memorial Day oftentimes for me is a reminder that summer projects are coming around. And I'm really sad that I have an apartment now. It's nice for many things, but believe it or not, I actually enjoy the summer projects. And uh, some of you guys are probably rolling your eyes at me. Just wait till you have a house. Then you will really not like summer projects. But I promise you, I really do like summer projects. I actually have this picture of uh, me and my dad and my brother. Actually, this happened first service too. It's no big deal. There's me the top of my head right there in the corner. So it's really just a picture of me and or my dad and my brother, but there's me. And uh, we'll get to the purpose of this picture. I have a smile on my face, um, I, and I'm standing next to the ladder. Um, but this was an addition that we put on our house when we were younger, and it was just fun to do summer projects. Uh, I remember my dad would always dump the mulch in the middle of the driveway, and before we got home from school, we just knew that meant that me and Eric are going out to mulch all of our flower beds. Or the lawnmower would just be put outside the garage, and it meant, hey, guess what, Trig? It's time for you to mow the lawn. Um, but just summer just makes me think about all these memories, and we're going to get to the purpose of that picture later, but I love my dad. I love my brother, even though He's the center of attention, and uh, we'll get to that later. I promise there's purpose there, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. So uh, if you guys want to start turning there in your Bibles, that's on page 792 of the Bibles underneath your seats. If you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Uh, we really believe in the, uh, the transforming power of God's Word here at Movement. So we want you to take that home and start reading it if you don't have one. Luke chapter 10 this morning. Like I said, we're in... Uh, the fifth and final week of a series called Red Letters, where the goal of the series is to simply live like Jesus. And unfortunately, a lot of times in our culture today, Christ followers are not seen in a very positive light. In fact, we've kind of strayed away from who Jesus really is and the ways that we are living at sometimes. And so we wanted to engage this question, and we thought, well, let's look no further than the words of Jesus himself. And in many translations of the Bible, his words are in red. They're not any more special than any of the words in Scripture. All of Scripture, we believe, is God-breathed. It all is God's words, but these are the words of Jesus, and as Jesus followers, this is a good place, if there was ever any place to start, to begin to see how we should live as Christ followers. But let me make something clear before we hop right into the text, that the gospel, or the good news about Jesus Christ is just that. It's news. And it's not advice. And see, the reason that this is important is because advice urges you to make something happen. News urges you to recognize that something has happened and that we have an opportunity to respond to it. In other words, our faith as Christ followers is recognizing that Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't, died the death that we should have, and then rose again, giving us eternal light, and now we have an opportunity to respond to it. That's essentially what this entire series is about, right? What are some of the aspects of what it means to respond to good news, not advice, 
for what Jesus has done for us. And so the first week we said that looks like being. The second week we said serving. Third week we said forgiving. Last week we said giving. And today we're going to talk about going. What does it mean to go as a disciple of Christ? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, uh, 1 through 4. Uh, Just pray with me for one moment. Uh, Lord Christ, uh, we believe that your word is true, um, but we confess that we oftentimes don't believe it to be true, uh, and we repent for that. And Lord, even if we do believe it to be true, we find it hard to obey sometimes, and so we repent for that. And so this morning, I I pray that the word would sink deep into our hearts, that we wouldn't only believe it, but that we would believe it, and then in doing so, we would obey it. In your name, amen. Okay, Luke tells us this. The Lord, meaning Jesus, now chose the 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he had planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. That's comforting. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. But at the beginning of chapter 9, the chapter right before chapter 10... I don't know why I told you that. You guys should all know that by now. But chapter 9, Jesus sends out another group of people. This is a much smaller group of people. They are the 12 disciples. We know them, James, Peter, John, those guys, right? And we know a lot more about them. But here, Jesus sends out another group of individuals. They're called the 72 in our text. Now, we don't know a lot about these individuals, and I think that that's purposeful because the biblical authors are very intentional about what they put into the text, but they're also very intentional about what they omit from the text. And the reason that I think this is important is because a group of this size, we can safely assume, contains people from all different types of backgrounds, all different walks of life, different social and economic backgrounds, and even racial backgrounds. And the reason that that's important is that these are not all the people that Jesus will call to this work, this work to go out and to preach the gospel. In fact, far from it, as we look at verse 2, where Jesus says that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. In other words, this call to evangelism, this call to discipleship, this call to go out and to share the good news about Jesus is not a task designed for the select few in the church. In fact, this is a common misconception in so many churches today. Maybe you've been coming here to movement for a little while. Maybe you've never been here before, but we talk about discipleship often. In fact, that's what this entire series is about. In the words of Jesus, what is a disciple? Or in other words, what is it to make a disciple? Well, as far as the series is concerned, the first week we said that a disciple follows and abides in Jesus. And we said that how this life in Christ is not about striving, but it's about resting in him. And the second week, we said that disciples serve people, and they not only serve people, but they serve people at the expense of themselves. Then we said, disciple forgives people. And we said that this isn't an arbitrary type of forgiveness, but it is a natural response of a forgiven person to forgive others. And then finally, last week, we said that a disciple gives freely and joyfully of his time, resources, and money for the sake of God's kingdom, and that you can worship God and have money, but you can't, have, you can't worship money and have God. And this, of course, leads us today where we see that Jesus calls disciples to go out and make other 
disciples. And I want to make this really clear because there's this pervasive idea in the church today, this attitude that it is one thing to be a Christian and it's another thing to be a disciple or a disciple maker. In other words, a disciple maker or someone that is called to share the good news about Jesus is some sort of stage two Christianity. And the problem with this is that when we start to believe this lie, it creates divisions in the church as if you can earn your way into this discipleship category or as if you're not required to do this, if it makes you uncomfortable or you feel that you're not gifted to do so. In fact, if you look at the biblical narrative, the disciples were known as that first and not Christians first. And we oftentimes flip this in our minds. In other words, there's no distinction between a Christ follower and a disciple maker. I still remember the first day that I walked into my college football locker room for the first time. I, believe it or not, I was as tall as I am now, but I was about 175 pounds soaking wet. And I remember walking down the center aisle of this dingy locker room. I take a left um, into my row of lockers, look up there is my nameplate, and to my right is the senior captain. His name was Lordson. He was a defensive end, and he was 6'5", 275 pounds of chiseled muscle. And I look at him, and I'm like, I've barely put a razor to my face. I don't belong here. You know, I'm, 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 I'm sitting there like, this guy could break me in half. He's a 22-year-old man, and here I am as an 18-year-old child walking into this locker room, and I just felt so out of place. That first year was brutal. All the training was arduous. I wasn't mature. I didn't look the way they looked. I didn't feel the way they looked. And yet, when it came to Saturday mornings, I walked out on the same field with the same helmet, with the same logo on it, and the same shoulder pads, and I strapped on the same jersey. But I'd walk out on the field and I'd be like, seriously, God? Like, I don't belong here. Well, I didn't know God at the time, freshman year. So I'd just say, seriously, right? (laughs) But maybe you guys feel the same way, but you feel this way about your relationship with God and things that you hear him calling you to. And you walk out into the world that God is calling you into and you're like, seriously, God? Have you seen me? You want me to walk out onto that field? Yes. Yes, I do. And see, it didn't matter how I felt. As soon as I stepped onto campus, as soon as I entered that locker room, as soon as I went onto the field, I was a football player. My identity shaped my existence and not the other way around. I practiced with the team. I ate with the team. I played with the team. And no doubt, I failed time and time again. But I just continued to grow and grow and grow. And we all know this feeling, don't we? whether it's walking into your dorm room freshman year of college with that lump in your throat or the first day on a new job or that time that you took out a loan that might have been just a little bit too big to handle or the first time that you held your baby in your your arms as a new parent. We all know this feeling where we're given responsibility before we're sure that we even know how to do it or even if we can do it. And see, the same goes for Jesus in these 72. I can imagine they had some of the same feelings. Wait, you want me to do what? Have you seen the world? They don't believe in you. And see, when he chooses you as he chose the 72, it's game time. As soon as you're on the team, you are on it. You get all of the privileges, but also all of the responsibility that comes with it. So what is this responsibility? What is this mission 
as Christ followers. Well, Jesus takes the 72 and he sends them out ahead of him so that they might introduce people to him. In other words, if we take the 72 as the prototype of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, it is to meet Jesus, to follow Jesus, and then to go out ahead of him and introduce him to others. And so look at the end of verse one. It says that Jesus sent them to all the towns and places that he had planned to visit. And so I read this in the ESV, and it said that Jesus sent them to where he was about to go. And so I started to ask myself, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make much sense. Jesus is sending the disciples out to places that he was about to go himself. In other words, people were to go out and tell people about Jesus, but then Jesus himself was going to show up and meet him himself. So why would we need to do that? What's going on here? Well, I think this tells us multiple things, but first I think it tells us that God wants to use you. He wants to use you and all your idiosyncrasies, all your insecurities, all your personality. He wants to use you to go into your spheres of influence and to share his good news. You, all of you, But I think secondly, it tells us that ultimately we are just the messengers. We are not the message. And that if Jesus doesn't come behind us and show up in people's lives, nothing's going to happen. So we're not introducing people to spiritual things. We're not introducing people to 10 steps to this. But we're introducing people to the God of the universe. And we say, hey, do you know him? I want to introduce you to him. And this is such good news because ultimately it gives us freedom. We don't have to have it all together. We're not the gospel. Jesus is, and he looks at us, and he sees our limitation, but he invites us into partnership with him. Are you kidding me? We get to do this? I'm just reading this text today, or this week, and I'm just like, Lord, I forgot that I'm doing your work. This isn't about me. And see, there's still plenty of responsibility there. But the weight is on him to drive home the message into people's hearts. And we just have to be faithful and say, God, I'm going to go ahead of you. So let's continue and look at verse 2. Jesus says this, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Proof right there of what I just said. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of of the harvest, and ask him to send people or workers into his fields. Now, some of you guys may know this. Some of you might not know this, but this this verse is kind of the center core of one of the big heartbeats of Movement Church, and that heartbeat is church planting. And we believe that God has called us into his family so that we might be sent out into the world. And so we want to be a church that is constantly planning life-giving churches. And God is constantly in the, uh, the um, business of surprising us and reminding us of this truth that he is the Lord of the harvest because we sent a church out a couple years ago called Three Creeks and our plan was that they would be self-sustaining in three years and God's plan was that they'd be self-sustaining in two years and then in July we're completely done supporting them. They are their own entity and we can praise God for that. It's an amazing thing. But what comes with that is our vision is that not only is Gehanna, Ohio a place where God wants to plant a life-giving church but all over the world and so we're going to continue in that mission. We're going to continue to be obedient with this uh, to this verse. We're going to 
gonna continue to ask God to send more workers, not only in movement, but to send more workers in so that they might be sent out. That is our call as Christ followers, a call into the field where we plant the seeds, but God reaps the harvest. And so because we're actively playing, praying for our next church planner, we're going to do just that and take heed of Jesus's words right now. And we're going to pray for that. So would you bow with me? God, we love you. We know that you're in control. You are the Lord of the harvest. We know that you care far more about this message than we ever could in our little selves. And so we ask that you would send more people, more workers into the harvest, and that you would send them in so that they can be sent out. And God, we're also praying specifically for that individual that might be the next church planner that we can send out and plant a life-giving community to a world that desperately needs it. And we're just asking these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to go back to that picture of me and my dad, because you guys were probably wondering that was kind of random. Well, my brother and my dad, forgive me. Um, but the, the illustration still uh, rings true, right? So we're called into this harvest. God is the Lord of the harvest. And just like this picture, where me and my brother would come home, and my dad would have his tool belt on, he'd be working on the addition in our house, and we'd have our little tool belts, and we'd come home, and we'd get so excited, we'd strap them on, and then he'd like put a nail in the wall that didn't really need to be nailed in, but we'd nail it in thinking that we're having more of an impact on the building than we actually are, right? In the same way, this is what we're invited into as Christ followers, is just a building project with dad, But instead of building a earthly, small little addition on a house, we get to build a heavenly kingdom in partnership with the God of the universe. And when we say yes to that, we get invited in to one of the most exciting things ever. My dad knew I was absolutely useless. What am I really going to do, right? He's in control of the blueprints. He's in control of making sure that his plan comes to fruition. He's in control of everything, and yet he still invites me in. But the most devastating thing to my father would be if I came home from school and he said, hey, Trig, do you want to help me? I I got you this tool belt. I got you all these tools. Isn't this amazing? I want to teach you how to swing a hammer. I want to teach you how to measure things out and put that next block in. And I just said, no, Dad, I'm not interested. I know, that, I know that you want to invite me into this, but I'm, I'm not interested in your plan. I'm not interested in your blueprint. I'm not interested in this thing that you're building. I know you know me. I know you love me, but I'm not interested. But see, when we say yes, it brings the ultimate freedom. Where do you want me to put the nail, Dad? What do you want me to measure? You want me to mark that line right there? I'll do it. I just want to be with you, Dad. And I know we haven't all had good dads. My dad wasn't perfect. But we get to do this with the Heavenly Father. The Lord of the harvest invites us into his work. One of my professors in college used to say, you don't really know God until you know him in his workplace. Do you know him in his workplace? Do you know him in people's lives? Have you seen people be transformed by his spirit? And see, the wind is is just that, that time spent with dad. You become more like your dad. Or for your moms, the same way. You know that the more your daughters become like you, for good or for bad, they be, the more they spend time with you, for good or for bad, they become like you. And see, ultimately, this is how it goes with our faith 
as well. We don't go out to work work for God's acceptance. We're welcomed into his presence if we say yes to his invitation through Jesus on the cross and we get to do, all we get to do is respond and just say yes. Okay, God, you have my life. Whatever you want from me, I'll give it to you. And this is why we need to go into the harvest because it's his work, not ours, that determines our eternal fate. We're not in control, which is why we need a savior, just as my dad was in control. We're not in control. When's the last time you went out into your workplace, in your family, and said, hey, have you been finding fulfillment? Have you been finding joy and peace and security and hope or purpose? Let me tell you, I know this guy. I know this guy, and he introduced me to all of these things. His name's Jesus. Do you know him? Can I tell you about him? And then we get to go out ahead of him and do that work. What an amazing thing. And you might say, well, that's easy for you to say. You don't know my coworkers, or you don't know my employees, or you don't know my friends, or maybe even you don't know my family. And to that, I would say that Jesus knows exactly the situation you're in. In fact, look at verse three. Jesus says, now go, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. You're kidding me. I was just about to muster up the neck, enough courage to go out and share my faith, and then you gotta drop this bomb on me, Jesus? Lambs among wolves? Lambs ravage wolves. I mean, well, that would be awesome. And that would be a lot better news, but no, wolves ravage lambs. Wolves eat lambs. That's super comforting. One of the weakest animals in the universe among one of the apex predators of the entire forest. And you're supposed to, that's supposed to give me comfort, Jesus? Not only are the odds stacked against them, they're not only outnumbered, but they're completely helpless. And we feel this way sometimes, don't we, when we enter a world that hates God. We live in America. We're the land of idols. We might not have temples and shrines to them, but we sure worship a lot of them. Whether it be money or sex or power, we love these things. America doesn't love God. They love those things. We're lambs among wolves. And we feel this way sometimes, don't we? We're sitting there at the dinner table and some hot topic debate comes up over some moral issue and everyone looks to you because they know you're a Christian and they look for your opinion and it's like a bunch of hungry wolves waiting for a snack. We all can relate to this some way, can't we? Heck, I'm a pastor. It's the ultimate conversation starter. Hey, what do you do? I work for the church. Do you want to stop talking? Sure, I would love that. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's not how it actually goes, but it might as well be. And and I wish I wasn't a lamb, right? I wish I wasn't as timid. I wish I could tell you that I didn't struggle with the same things that Jesus is telling us that we struggle with as lambs that are weak animals that need a shepherd to guide them. I still remember we met uh, our, our next door neighbor in our apartment complex. His name is Pete. Many of you guys know him. 
but he's got this thick New Jersey accent. He's really like abrasive, but he's a great guy. And I still remember it was one of those days where super weird. I was just weary emotionally and spiritually. And I walk out and I got trash in my hand and he's walking out of his door and I had never met him for the first time. He goes into this little four by four room that is the trash thing. He looked to his right. He saw me. So he knows that I can't go back into my house because then I'm avoiding him, obviously. So I walk down the hallway. I take a right into the trash chute. There he is. We're stuck in this four by four room. And I'm thinking, please just let it be like a, hey, hey, how are you doing? And I can get out of there, right? Well, nonetheless, the conversation starts and uh, that, that, that question comes up. What do you do? I work in the church. Conversation kind of sputtered off in a different direction there, but we kept talking. And a few weeks later, we start having more conversation about spiritual things and about Jesus. And he starts asking the questions and we start talking about it. And even though I was so weak in that moment, God's power was made perfect in my weakness. And he showed me, I want Pete so much more than you do, Trey. And three weeks later, he came to our group for the first time. And a couple weeks after that, he gave his life to the Lord. And now he's pursuing him. And now he's telling other people about him. This is kingdom work. It's one individual at a time. My power is made perfect in your weakness, God tells us through Paul. And we're reminded of this when we look at the narrative of Scripture. Look at the people that God uses. None of them are anything special. In fact, far from it. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused by his own family. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was fearful. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was too young. David not only had an affair, but then killed one of his best friends, whose woman he had an affair with. Elijah was suicidal. Job went completely bankrupt. Peter denied Jesus. All the disciples fell asleep while trying to pray. Martha worried constantly. Zacchaeus was an extortionist. And Lazarus was dead. Dead. And I think he is the ultimate example of our weakness, right? Because if God's power doesn't resurrect our lives from the ashes, we are useless. And this is what we get to do when we get to step in here on a Sunday morning. We get to come in and say, God, I'm useless without you, but in your power, I am made perfect. And I do have the power to share your good news with other people. Not I have found religion. Not I have found spiritual things, but I have found Jesus, the God of the universe. Can I tell you about him? God wants to use you. He's not surprised that you have your shortcomings. He's not surprised that you have your limitations. He knows it. He sees it. He wants to use it because in those limitations, God's power is shown to a world that looks straight at a Christian and wants to know what is different about you. And I think the problem is that some of us, we come to faith in Jesus and we forget that we're lambs and we spend our whole lives exhausted, striving, trying to prove to God that we're strong instead of accepting that we're weak and allowing God's power to work through us. This is about knowing our identity. Paul reminds us of this when he talks to the Corinthians and he says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. 
Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. This is the gospel. God of the universe humbling himself to become a human, a vulnerable, killable baby. The most amazing thing has happened in my life. I've actually met the God of the universe. Do you know him? Even though he was a lion, he came as a lamb. Even though he had the strength of the universe, he gave it up and became weak and vulnerable for me. Even though he had the ultimate influence, he gave himself up for me. And not only did he die for me, but even though wolves surround me and I am weak, we have nothing to fear because we have a good shepherd his name is Jesus. And he protects us and he guides us. God doesn't need 10 out of 10s. He just needs willing followers who are committed to follow him wherever he goes. Would you go with him wherever he goes? Would you? Are you willing to do that? And then he calls those willing followers to remain followers, but then to go be goers. Jesus, I'll go wherever you call me. And so you have every right to be fearful. It's not easy business. Jesus acknowledges that. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. You're vulnerable, but you have a good shepherd and his name is Jesus. And if we just knew that, we wouldn't be so fearful as we go through life's difficulties, its trials, its sorrows, its deaths, its depressions, its anxieties. And you know why God wants sheep and not wolves? Because sheep, while helpless, they know their shepherd's voice. And when they hear it, they just, I'm going, I'm beelining it to them. A couple years ago, I had the privilege of going to um, Israel and we stopped the bus on the side of the road because there was, liter- there was a shepherd with his sheep out in the desert leading him to a little patch of grass. And he goes, you know what? Have you heard this whole green pastures thing in the Bible? That's exactly what David was talking about when he talked about green pastures. We think that it's these lush, lush fields, but it was just enough to keep going. And oftentimes that's the way that God operates in his life, though he is a God of abundance, sometimes just to keep us dependent on him because he knows that's best for us. He leads us to a green pasture that's just enough to keep going. Have you heard his voice? Are you running to it? God often chooses the outnumbered and the weak to do his business so that they would become aware of this strength because God is not in need of exceptional people to share his exceptional message. And this is why Jesus calls them to a place that probably made all of them uncomfortable in verse four, where he concludes his thought by saying, Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Talk about utter dependence. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Like, I'll do all that stuff, but don't ask me to, like, leave behind everything that I knew. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll I'll make a way. What about my family? I'll take care of them. What about my home? I'll give you a new one. 
What about all my insecurities? I'll shore those up. What about all the distractions around me? Forget about them. Focus on me, Trig. Do you focus on me? Trust me, Trig. That's the way that God just speaks to us. Just trust me. Follow me. You can leave it all. It's a, it's a message that is so urgent. And I think we live a lot of our lives as Americans preparing for the last 10 years on earth rather than the first 10 million in eternity. We spend so much time worrying about that last 10 here instead of the first 10 million in eternity. Where have we got it so backwards? So my question to you this morning, movement, is if he called you to do this, would you do it? Would you follow him? If he asked you to go, would you go? If he asked you to share your faith, would you share it? And for those of you that feel like they've been in church for a while and maybe they've heard this message, yeah, yeah, we get it. I've been here before. I know we should share my faith. This isn't just a call into going, but this is a call out of complacency. So if you find yourself this morning, go to the good shepherd. Go to him in his word. Ask him to guide you. He will and follow the good shepherd's voice. He has rescued you even though you are lambs among wolves so that you might rescue others because rescued people help to rescue people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're just gonna sit here in your presence for a second and I ask that you speak to each of us what you will from this message this morning. Lord, you are the shepherd that leads us to green pastures. You are the shepherd that leads us beside still waters. You are the shepherd that restores our soul. And lo, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have to fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me and they comfort us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.